Hi, and welcome back to the show. Today, I am joined by Joshua Edelman. He is the CEO and co-founder of NeoWork. Joshua has had an interesting journey himself. He is from California, Silicon Valley. He worked for one of the major startups, Bird, in creating the offshore customer service provision for that fast-growing company. After getting a taste for that, he built his own outsourcing firm. So it's a great story and one that I really enjoyed sharing with Joshua. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. Enjoy. This podcast is brought to you by Outsource Accelerator. We are the world's leading outsourcing marketplace and advisory. We help big and small businesses with their outsourcing needs and we can help you too. We cover everything from offshore business and staffing strategy, optimal outsourcing structures, implementations, and fully managed services. If you are already outsourcing, about to start, or are somewhere in between, then we can ensure that you get the best from outsourcing. That's the best prices, best terms, and of course, the best results from your offshore operations. The Outsource Accelerator Marketplace now covers over 3,000 outsourcing firms representing a global workforce of over 5 million people. We also host this leading outsourcing podcast, publish inside outsourcing, and have over 15,000 pages of content on the site. Because we span the entire market, we can ensure that you get the best deal possible. Get in touch today. Visit us at outsourceaccelerator.com slash quote. Also, if you find this podcast interesting or valuable, please share it. We have now produced hundreds of episodes featuring the outsourcing world's most prominent luminaries. Please show your support by sharing this podcast today. So Joshua, tell me about NeoWork. Absolutely. So we primarily partner with high growth companies. And the main difference between us and other BPOs is we really get involved in the weeds of setting up our partner clients' operations for scale. So coming in there, building out SOPs, training materials, and of course, also staffing and managing an outsource team for their operations. Got it. And you've had a journey. So you're now based in Columbia, but you uh, had a lot of your formative years in California. Of course, there's a lot going on there. So what is your own personal journey into outsourcing? Absolutely. Yeah. I grew up uh, the family of entrepreneurs. You know, every uh, dining table dinner was a, almost like a conference room session. Um, and throughout earlier in my career, I was working for a lot of tech companies uh, and was exposed to outs outsourced engineers and overseas operations teams. Uh, one notable experience was when I was working at Bird during the early days. That's the, the electronic uh, scooters startup um, during their hyper growth phase, you know, in early 2018, when they were launching three cities every single week. They couldn't hire operations teams quickly enough. So I actually went over to the Philippines and got exposed to 
the whole BPO industry over there in the Philippines and some of the best practices and also things to look out for when partnering with other BPOs. So it was great to sit in the shoes of a, a vendor manager and kind of live that life, um, being able to connect with, with teams over there before starting NeoWork. And that's really what led me down the path of NeoWork to be a, a new method of work for the outsourcing industry. And that must have been a baptism of fire with Bird then, because you know, you're combining hyper growth, hyper scaling. And obviously there's a lot of money sloshing around and then sort of going offshore and kind of having to build the processes from scratch, um, you know, learn about the whole offshore provision. How, how crazy was it? Was it, was it kind of uh, what you expected or was it just absolute bedlam? <laughs> yeah, it definitely was a trial by fire. Um, I, you know, that those were back in the days of the overvaluations in the startup world and growth, no matter the cost. Um, so yeah, we really went in there without many training resources at all built out or quality assurance or any of that. Um, and it was a great exposure to, you know, w- run through those with the team and go through a lot of iterations. And I still, to this day, I very much use my learnings on what not to do <laughs> uh, from, from those early days when I'm partnering with, especially earlier stage startups now. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't want to dive too deep into your bird experience, but did you did you outsource independently? Like you just sort of got staffing, you you built everything yourselves, or did you work with a provider that helped build those processes? We worked with a provider. We worked with a BPO, um, but it was more just the, the staffing side. So I really, really was heavily involved with even recruiting, the interviewing candidates, up to building out QA. And, and training the agents as well. Um, and I actually do quite like that model um, of you know the, the partner clients being heavily involved with leading their team instead of just handing it all over to the BPO um, to figure it out. Mm. I think you know no, no one knows your business better than you do. Um, so I, I really like that, that partnership approach um, and we use that in New York as well um, to have the outsource team really be an extension of our client's internal team instead of just being this separate kind of transactional third third party company that only the, the account manager really interfaces with and we see this journey so much in that entrepreneurs uh get a taste for outsourcing in their business or their operations and then they see it as transformative and then they completely pivot their entire careers or life or business over to outsourcing it is so so common was that similar to you were you like wow this is so powerful, such, you know, huge potential that I need to go and do this for myself. Like what was that pivoting moment for you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, before working at Bird, I, I had an augmented reality startup based in Colombia. Um, so you know, very familiar with the, the level of talent overseas and really just a matter of navigating through some cultural nuances and building up that trust and total buy-in with your outsource team. But I'm, I'm a huge proponent of, of working with talent overseas. And I think especially COVID kind of killed the zip code and has even further accelerated uh, U.S.-based companies' comfort level with, with working with overseas talent. And, you know, not too long ago, it used to be a strategic advantage to offshore. Obviously, you can save a lot of money. You can get the staff you need. But... Once everyone's doing it, you sort of lose that strategic advantage and it's just kind of, you know, now the norm and everyone has to 
it sort of adjusts the entire cost structure of everything. Do you see that happening? Like with your VR company, was it, you know, essential? Did you sort of find any strategic advantage in going offshore and saving costs? Or was it just sort of an essential part now of running a business efficiently? Yeah, back then um, it was you know, less uh, commonplace, especially in the AR, VR space. So we actually, with the early startup, it was a cost-saving measure. Um, I also was was living there in, in Medellin at the time as well. Um, so it made sense to be you know local with the, the 3D animators. They were all animators by training, but converted them over to building out the 3D models for that early AR startup. Um, but yeah, to, to answer your question, it's especially recently in the past two years or so, it's become more commonplace and really the companies that are slower to adopt outsourcing are eventually going to be you know, left in the dust by their competitors that are leveraging that. Um, but there are still certainly advantages with making sure you're doing outsourcing the right way, kind of like what I mentioned bef- before of being aware of cultural nuances and really integrating your outsource team with your internal team. So there are still certain advantages with, with working with the right provider and just, you know, properly doing the, the setup work. And so you're running this VR company. What was the moment where you thought, you know, outsourcing is the next gig? This is your next, because, you know, it, it's a big commitment, isn't it? These new businesses, you're probably going to be in it for seven to 20 years. What was it about this outsourcing then that you thought you could do differently or approach differently or was really uh, attractive to you? Yeah, so I, I was in Colombia. I flew over to L.A. to uh, pitch to some VCs and try to raise some more money. Um, and when I got off of the airport at LAX, I saw all these scooters running around. I was like, what, what is, what's going on here? <laughs> um, so, yeah, to, to answer your question, you know, I was I was still in the, the AR, VR game, but we really never found product market fit with that first idea. Um, and it's a mixture of multiple factors. Um, I think also timing was a big one of just the, the AR headsets not being where they are at now with you know, Apple's the most recent release. Um, so yeah, I decided to, I, I saw these scooters, decided to start working with Bird when they were really early on, applied, worked for them. And then, yeah, the, the formative decision of, hey, let's uh, you know run with NeoWork as an outsourcing firm, that happened when I was actually boots on the ground in the Philippines, seeing that this is a great business value, uh, model that can add a ton of value to to partners as well when it's done correctly. Got it. Got it. Fantastic. And you know, you you've got a background in the startup scene in Silicon Valley, certainly California, um, and you have fashioned NeoWork to respond to the needs of startups. How has that gone? And have you seen? You know, I, I found that a lot of startups when cash was easy. They had a bit of a snobbery about them saying, you know, you know, this, this whole Steve Jobs thing, like we only work with the best, we hire the best, we don't need to save money, we don't need to outshore, offshore. Um, but has that, you know, did you see that? And is that starting to change now as money gets a little bit tighter and these companies have to become profitable? Yeah, absolutely. Before it was all about just growth, but now... CAC and LTV is what everyone's looking at, and uh, startups are a lot more uh, interested in, in reducing costs of their operations. Um, so it's become an easier conversation. And look, it also just provides a lot of 
flexibility. Um, you know, for companies, if they have some seasonality to their, their volume, um, working with the BPO is great to have that elastic workforce so you can ramp it up in the summertime when everyone's on their electric scooters. And then, you know, when it's winter and time to close up, you, you downscale as well. And BPOs are great for that instead of, you know, with an internal staff. Um, and also just, you know, unlocking your internal team's um, time to do more high value work and start new initiatives and leave the more, you know, repetitive or, um, you know, more tier one level tasks to, to an outsourced operations team is really uh, an ingredient for success. What has the journey been like for NeoWork? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, right when the pandemic hit in 2020, that's when we shifted gears towards outsourcing. And it started out with just me, you know, reaching out to my network that was in the, the tech space and seeing how we could help their company. Um, and yeah, it's been, it's been exciting to see the growth from just early on a couple small accounts and now moving into enterprise level, working with Fortune 500 size companies. Um, but we really have, I made a lot of efforts and it's something that's still top of mind of me for us to keep our startup culture as we get bigger and keep our culture of, you know, prioritizing mental health and partnering with clients that are aligned with our values and keeping that, that small team feel as we get bigger. Yeah, you invest a lot of time into the, uh, the culture of your business. You're largely remote, is that, is that right, with the business? And so how do you uh, ensure that you maintain and manage a culture when you are working remote? Right. Yeah, we are fully remote team, but we do a lot of in-person events for team building, for leadership development. Um, the main advantage of being remote, especially in Philippines like Manila, is that it helps with the attracting and retaining the top talent that, you know, doesn't want to do the, the two hour commute every day there and back through through Manila. Uh, but yeah, to your point, still keeping an in-person element is super important, especially for smaller accounts where they're not working in a big team and, you know, loneliness can creep in if they're just working remotely all the time. So yeah, frequent in-person events are, are key for balancing that out. And also a lot of you know, town halls and nonstop karaoke sessions. <laughs> We've got some, some talented singers on the team. Um, but yeah, we, we do a lot of engagement activities like that to, to, to keep the team together. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? And what did you, I understand you just did quite a lot of activities recently. You were in Philippines only a couple of weeks ago. So what did you learn from those activities and what do you, what do you find? How does the team react and um, what is the sort of core value you get out of it, do you think? Yeah, something that constantly surprises me is how quickly my team is to make friends with people that work on other accounts. You know, they, they're close friends with the people that they work with day to day. But the, the great thing about doing these in-person company-wide uh, team building events is that they're able to, to meet with other departments and other people that they never interface with. Um, going back to when I was sitting in the shoes of a vendor manager, one of the biggest pain points was uh, attrition because of just the need to reprovision all of the software tools and retraining and the, the lags and operations that that caused. So retention is one of the most important KPIs that we look at at NeoWork. Um, I'm really, that's the stat I'm most important or most proud of is we're at 92% employee retention rate, whereas 
industry average for Philippines is around 60%. Um, but the, the way to keep that up is just, you know, not nonstop engagement and doing frequent temperature checks to see where everyone is at and being as flexible as we can to still, you know, do everything we need to, to service our accounts, but also building that flexibility and not having some of the bureaucracy of, of certain policies that, that larger companies have. And are they, do they mainly work synchronously with the employers? Are most of your clients in the US? Like what is that sort of workflow like? And if they're working synchronously, does that mean a lot of them are working night shift in the Philippines? That's right. Yep. The majority of them are working US hours. Some of our accounts are 24 seven operations, but the majority are working overnight. And it's interesting. And, you know, as you know, in the Philippines, there's almost this whole sub culture of people that are in the BPO industry working the overnight shift. And they've been nocturnal for many years of their career. And a lot of their friend group and partners are working nocturnal hours as well. So it's, it's something that, you know, their whole kind of life is centered around. Um, but yeah, when, when recruiting, we're also pay a lot of attention to their comfort level and experience working an overnight shift just to make sure that it'll be a, a good fit to work U.S. hours. And um, you, you started in Colombia, of course, and you're based in Colombia yourself. And it seems like you're sort of emphasizing the Philippines a little bit more now. What, what do you see as the uh, comparisons between the Philippines, Colombia, pros and cons, if you can be so bold? Absolutely. There's a, a lot of similarities, but also some, some nuances in the difference. Um, the, well, first of all, the, the language is very similar. There's a lot of, I always have fun with getting my Colombia and Philippines teams together and them realizing how many of their vocab words are the same Spanish base and diet, you know, chicharron and lechon, you can get it in the same in both countries, but there's also certain, certain differences. Um, you know, the, I find the Philippines to be stronger for voice type accounts because of how neutral the accent is. Um, and then, of course, for a, a bilingual, you know, Spanish-English account, uh, Colombia is a great place to outsource. Um, also, in some of the, the skill sets, like for a, a sales-type role that involves closing, I find Colombia to really have, in general, have that, that strong tact for sales-type closings, whereas with support and with, you know, just nurturing customers and being extra patient, uh, Philippines really shines in, in that light. So, yeah, to answer your question, there's a, a lot of differences, but also a lot of huge similarities. Um, and it all comes down to just the, the similar cultures of being a very family-oriented and strong values in, in both countries. And what is the cost differential like? Is it is it similar? Uh... Colombia is slightly higher, uh, around 15 to 20% higher, for depending on the position. Um also just tied to the the cost of living is slightly higher in Colombia than Philippines. Got it. Got it. Fascinating. And being a remote, fully remote business, would you, why are you sticking to just one or two countries? Would you potentially hire from, you know, a hundred staff from a hundred countries? Or do you see that there is um, sort of a level of uh, like an optimal distribution? Yes, I've explored a couple other countries um, for setting up teams in Latin America. More news to come there. Um, but I, I do certainly find an advantage of having certain home bases for the, the in-person events, as I've referenced before. Also, just for redundancies with 
you know, the HR and legal entities and all of that set up. Um, so, yes, certainly expanding to other countries is on the roadmap, um, but there are also advantages to have a, a, a remote team that is still in a fairly close geographic region. Got it. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, there must be, I don't know, some people get people from wherever, and I just sort of see that that, is, that can become a bit of a headache to just manage so many different cultures, types of communications, time zones, and things like that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And doing the, the setup in a country, it's the same amount of work if you've got five people there or 500. So, you know, once, once you do the setup, it's kind of, you're already in place and have the HR infrastructure and recruiting to, to be able to scale once you've done the, all of the upfront legwork. Good. And so what is on the roadmap for Neo work then over the next five years? Where do you think you'll be? Is it, is it just sort of rinse and repeat, just scaling the product or, you know, is there a sort of innovation in the space? What are you thinking? Yeah, I was just at Startup Grind uh, about two months ago and the, the huge buzzword, every single startup there was a, was a version of ChatGPT with a wrapper around it. So AI certainly is emerging and we're absolutely investing and exploring in ways and how to have more AI assisted agents. Um, so that'll be a, a huge component. Also, just better productizing our service um, to, to a bit of a more of a self-serve model, um, especially for like individual virtual assistants. Um, but it's important that we still keep our roots and our, our main value prop of being able to suffocate our, our clients with attention because we are a smaller team and have a, a lower number of, of clients in the pool. Yeah, and in terms of operations, like how do you how do you manage your clients in terms of are you providing staff and then they're on their own, or how do you sort of manage the operational layer in terms of delivery of of activities to the client? Uh, do you, as a company, get involved between the sort of staff and the, and the client? Yes, we do. We we have team leads on each of our accounts, and they help with building out SOPs, um, standard operating procedure documents, also building out training resources or adding to training resources if something is already existing, um, and then also doing the ongoing quality assurance checks and you know, performance management. Um, I'm a big believer that if it can be tracked, then it can be improved. So we like to, for all of our accounts, set up little friendly competitions and scorecards with the different KPIs we're looking at for those accounts and have little bonuses that we give out to, the, to our monthly winners. Um, so yeah, we, we be, after onboarding with client, we are heavily involved in the, the day-to-day management. But one of the, the main differences I would say from the larger BPOs is that we like to give our clients full access to all of our agents, um, have them really become an extension of the, the, the client's team. And that also pays dividends with just our, our agents having a lot more buy-in and sticking around, around a lot longer with their, their partner clients. Some roles are easy to track and you certainly get that in customer service. You know, you can track the call volume and, um, you know, customer satisfaction and, um, all, you know, all the close rates and things like that. But other roles are very hard to track. What do you do when a role is, you know, more creative, it's more, free-flowing, how do you sort of measure and track and monitor and improve those functions? 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a lot of our, our virtual assistants have very dynamic roles that changes from day to day. Um, but we, we still define KPIs with things like the deliverables on revenue if they're tied to that side or things like turnaround time on tasks in Asana. Um, also just standard things like, like attendance and responsiveness. So yeah, there is some nuance in setting up scorecards for the roles that don't, aren't just doing the same thing every single day. Um, but we still, you know, really put a lot of emphasis on defining KPIs and what success looks like, um, exactly to that point to be able to give agents a clear feedback on what they're doing well on and what, what needs to be improved and also to help set up growth paths for them as well. So that if they exceed goals that they, they've got that career growth, uh, target in mind for them as well. Got it. Joshua, fantastic journey. Congratulations on the growth of NeoWork and your journey as well. And uh, it's uh, fascinating to, to watch. So congratulations. As always, I encourage people to reach out, have a conversation and, you know, see how outsourcing can transform your own business. So if they want to learn more about NeoWork or get in touch, how can they do that? Thanks so much, Derek. Yeah, feel free to reach out on our website or reach out to me directly, joshua at neowork.com. Or you can also, I'm on LinkedIn, reach me out there. That was Joshua Edelman. He is the CEO and co-founder of NeoWork. As always, if you're on any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. And if you want to ask us anything, just drop us an email to ask at OutsourceAccelerator.com. See you next time.